Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. We were in sync. The moment he finished praying, I was ready with the mic set up and everything. A small boy was writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents he badly wanted. This is how he, he began. Dear God, I've been good for six months now. But after a moment's reflection, he crossed out six months and replaced it with three. And then he started again. Uh, Dear God, I've been good for three months now. And then after a brief pause, he canceled that out and put two weeks instead. There was another pause, and he crossed that one out too. And this time he got up from the table, went over to the nativity scene set up in the lounge room. He picked up the figure of Mary and went back to his writing and started again. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again, you probably heard of that one. In 22 days time, we will be celebrating the miraculous virgin birth of Christ. To be absolutely clear, while there has never been And there will never be another birth like his. Did you know that there were six other miraculous births recorded in the Bible? The first one is Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah. Now, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was also barren, but the Lord blessed her with Esau and Jacob. And God gifted Jacob and Rachel with Joseph, another miraculous birth. And Samson is the fourth. And how could we forget God blessing Hannah with Samuel? And the sixth is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. While uh, John, as uh, Daryl read out earlier, was six months old in Elizabeth's womb, the angel Gabriel visited Mary, a virgin and single, but engaged to be married. He told her that she would give birth to Jesus. All up, we have seven miraculous births. And in the Bible, number seven is a big deal, as it often represents fullness or completion. So we have in Galatians 4, 4 to 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There is no coincidence in this, right? God is meticulous in his planning. But in our new sermon series over the next four Sundays, titled, A Child is Born. Can we have the next slide? Yeah. Miraculous births of the Bible. We're only going to look at the birth of Isaac, uh, Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. On Christmas Day, Ash will unpack the birth of our Lord Jesus, the birth that changed everything. Now to the miraculous birth of Isaac, and his story starts in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. When God said to his father, Abraham, or Abram at the time, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's home, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. I will give you many descendants, and there will become a great nation, I will bless you and make your name famous so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And through you, I will bless all the families of the earth or all the nations. 
And this is a key passage in understanding the whole story of the Bible. Here we have God making a very generous covenant with Abraham, an ordinary 75-year-old guy. God tells him that he will bless him with descendants. And these descendants would multiply and become a nation, a nation that, we, that would be known as Israel. And God would bless Israel so that she will be a blessing to the whole world. But for this to happen, Abraham must uproot himself from his homeland, from his people, and go to a land that God has yet to show him. So it took a lot of courage for Abraham to obey God. He did what God asked. And by the time Abraham and Sarah got to where God wanted them to go, the land of Canaan, they had covered 2,500 kilometers. And that's about the distance between Brisbane and Darwin. The significance of our response to God is not to be underestimated. We need to stop believing. We need to stop propagating this nonsense that because of grace, that our obedience to God doesn't matter. Follow me, Jesus said. He's not going to make us do it. He's not going to make the choice for us. It is something, it is a decision, it is something that we must make something that we must do and no one else. Now, while God's promise to Abraham is expansive and generous, there is a huge problem with it. You see, Sarah, or Sarai as she was known then, Abraham's wife, is barren. But God is God, right? He'll deliver. Nothing is impossible with God. But have you ever gotten angry with God, gotten frustrated with God for being slow, with delivering his promise? Anyone? Yeah, of course, all of us have been impatient with God. And you'd appreciate uh, Abraham's complaint to God, which just happened after God had protected him and his family from harm in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, since you gave me that promise? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, though you've promised. And so a servant in my household instead will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, verse 6, and God credited to him as righteousness. Isn't it amazing that one of Christianity's central doctrine, that of justification by faith, is very much an Old Testament concept, not just a New Testament one. Well, when Abraham and Sarah, both 85 and 70 years old respectively, Sarah, with Abraham's blessing, decides that maybe God didn't necessarily mean the promised offspring would come through her. 
So she has Abraham sleep with her servant, Hagar. Now in those days, this was an acceptable practice. Either that or Abraham takes another wife. The plan works. Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. Problem solved. God's promise is fulfilled. Not so. Abraham and Sarah's decision resulted in a lot of relational pain and strife within the family. There are consequences, brothers and sisters, when we decide to take things into our own hands, even if we are doing it for God or in the name of God. One sure way of working out the difference between doing what you can and taking things into your own hand is by looking at the motivation of your action. Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it impatience? God, your time is up. I'm taking over. Is it unbelief? God, I really can't trust you to make things happen. I can trust you with other things, but not this one. Or is it pride? I don't like the way you're doing it. I don't like your approach. My way is better. God speaks to Abraham once more in Genesis chapter 7 and reiterates his promise made to him back in Genesis 12 and then back in Genesis 15. In verses 15 to 17, God says to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Abraham laughed. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Now, according to the apostle Paul, Abraham's laughter wasn't one of cynical doubt, but joy. Joy that God would and that God could do such a thing. Here's what he said about Abraham's response in Romans chapter 4, verses 19. Without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully pers persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. A short time later, God makes another appearance, but this time with a very specific announcement that Sarah would bear a son around the same time next year. Like Abraham, we need to hear from God. Like Abraham, we need to hear from God. It is not a luxury idea to hear from God. It is a necessity for us to hear from God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when he was tempted by the devil, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This was how Abraham was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God and was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. See, 
What gave Abraham that strength? It was God repeating himself, God speaking to Abraham time and again, time and again. And that is why we need to hear from God. That is why we need to read God's word for breath and for depth, as Sue reminded us several weeks ago. God wants to speak to you and I, but we must make room. We must make room in our hearts for him to speak to us. Anyways, Sarah overheard the conversation between God and Abraham, and she responded with bitter and skeptical amusement because she knew it was humanly impossible for her to fall pregnant. In addition, in addition her libido was virtually zilch, and yet God was saying that they will have a son as the result of normal sexual relations. Her response, her laughter draws a reaction from the Lord. And here's the account of the exchange between God and Sarah in Genesis 18, verses 13 to 15. It's quite funny. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But God said, yes, you did. (laughs) I love that exchange. It's crazy enough for Sarah to think that she could lie to God. I did not laugh. And I love God's reply. Yes, you did. The definitive tone of God's answer ends the conversation. I just love the interaction between God and Sarah. And I love the fact that despite Sarah's response, God remains faithful. It is not so much that Sarah, what Sarah did wasn't wrong, but as King David discovered for himself in Psalms 103 verse 10, God does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Or as Paul writes to Timothy, In 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, even if we're faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Are we grateful that God is the way he is? And then we have the birth of Isaac, finally, in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me joy, laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. There are two things I want to bring to our attention from the the miraculous birth of Isaac. The first one is this. We need to keep trusting God when things don't make sense to us. We need to keep trusting God even when things don't make sense to us. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was shocked and saddened by news that an ex-colleague of mine whom I served with and liked a lot, when Sue and I were serving with Youth of the Mission in Singapore from 1998 to 2001, had passed away. I've spoken to you about him before, about how God challenged him and Youth of the Mission Singapore to reach out to prostitutes who had become homeless as the result of COVID in Singapore. And Youth of the Mission, their office and their, their community was located right in the heart of the Red District area. He died from injuries, suffered in a car accident while traveling in a taxi from his hotel uh, to the airport in Istanbul en route to Singapore after spending a week teaching at a Bible training school in Northern Africa. In fact, the airport was just by the side of the road. That's how close he was to seeing his family. It was only 56. I feel for his wife and uh, two young daughters. Joe was well-known, well-respected, and well-loved by the body of Christ in Singapore. He was renowned for his lifelong passion for missions. He was inspirational. He was passionate. He was humble. He was down-to-earth, visionary leader who became a mentor, a brother, and a friend to many. He loved God. He loved the church, the body of Christ, and he loved people, especially the last, the least, and the lost. He had just commenced the role of mobilizing Singaporeans for missions. The last time I checked, about 100,000 people have watched the two wake services and his funeral service on YouTube. 100,000 people. His life impacted many. I was in a daze thinking about his passing. Lord, why, why take Joe so young and at this critical juncture of his calling? And God, what about his young, devastated family? God, I just don't see any upsides to his death. Only downsides. What is this about? You not only take the youngest, but you take the brightest, the influential. He would have made a significant dent for the kingdom of God. God, I'm trying to make sense of this, but it just doesn't make any sense. And I felt God reminded me that's probably how the disciples felt when Jesus hung on a cross, breathed his last and was buried. They were shocked. They were devastated. They were confused. Their friendship with Jesus was snuffed out in an instant. But they didn't know what we know, and that is Easter was coming. I was greatly comforted and reassured by that, that God has his reason for taking Joe home, and that his death 
will ultimately be a gain, not a loss. And this is the truth that comes through in the miraculous birth of Isaac. Sarah was barren. Why, Lord? Why is my wife barren? I'm sure Abraham and Sarah would have asked the Lord many times this question. They were keen. They were desperate to start a family. But God said, no. And then when God did say yes, he made them wait 25 years. Did you know that? It's 25 years between God making the announcement and making the promise to Abraham that he would have descendants. And by the time Sarah actually fell pregnant and gave birth to Isaac. That is a significant delay. What is that about? It is about trusting God. About trusting God with his timing and trusting God with his ways. Trusting God often means we do not know how and when God is going to do what he said he would do. But God has his reasons. He knows the end from the beginning. His timing is impeccable. His wisdom unmatched. Is it easy to wait? Of course not. Of course not. Waiting well is not my forte, but it is something that I know I need to learn to do better. As someone puts it, I want to be able to praise him in the hallway when God closes a door. I want to be able to learn to praise him in the hallway when doors don't open. I don't want to sulk. I don't want to try and pry it open like Abraham and Sarah did with Ishmael. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Or in another version it says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the soul who seeks him. The story of Isaac's miraculous birth and other miraculous births that we will look at are reminders to us that God has always intervened in unexpected ways to save his people. And he will do so again in you, in your life, for you. But in his time and in his ways. As Rachel Evans reminds us, the whole story of Advent is a story of how God can't be kept out. God is present. God is with us. God will show up. Brothers and sisters, remember Isaac's miraculous birth when things don't make sense to you, when an outcome isn't what you want or expect. Just because we can't see a good reason for why God would allow certain things to happen to you or to someone you love doesn't mean they can't be one. Just because you can't see the reason doesn't mean there is no good reason. Have faith in God. Keep faith in him. God is good. And he loves you more than you think. Hold on to his character. Sometimes we live our lives as if God is all about our wants, all about our needs, all about our fulfillment, all about, all about our plans and purpose. Can I say God's purpose includes us most definitely, but it doesn't center around us. God's purpose includes us, but it is much bigger than you and I. 
And that's the second point I want to highlight. It just rolls off our tongue, doesn't it, when we ask why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross for our sins. That's why he came. That was Jesus' purpose. While that is undeniably true, it is actually the byproduct of something else, something he held very dearly to his heart. And he reveals it to us in John chapter 12, verse 27. Speaking to God the Father about his impending death not far away, he says, Now my soul is troubled, Father. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. In other words, his purpose, his longing, his passion, his value, his mission was unswervingly about the glory of God and glorifying God. And if, glorif- if, and if glorifying his father meant that he would have to lay down his life and suffer insufferably in order to save humankind, then that is what he would do. That's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 12. I'm troubled. I know I have to face the cross and suffer unimaginable pain. But if that is what is going to glorify you, if that is what's going to give you and bring you maximum glory, then let's proceed. Because I want to glorify your name above all, above all else. And in Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, he calls us to follow his example. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You, all of you, the light of the world, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In short, he's saying the same thing to us. Will you make your life's purpose, will you make your life's mission about glorifying our Father? just as I've tried to model that to you. Make that your aim. Make that your goal in life, to glorify God above all else. This is our destiny, to glorify God by letting the light of Christ shine within us and through us wherever he has placed us in all arenas of life and in all seasons of life. You see, the birth of Isaac is more than just a gift of love and mercy from God to a childless couple. It represents a turning point in the fulfillment of God's salvation plan for the whole world. Remember God's covenant with Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. I will give you many descendants and I will bless you and make your name famous so that you will be a blessing to the whole world and through you I will bless all nations. You see, this promise was ultimately fulfilled by Abraham's most famous descendant. And you know who that is. And it's none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Paul makes this link in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his, you are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Can I urge us, as during the season of Advent, to think about how our lives are glorifying God? Will you determine? Will you rededicate your life and say to God, I want my life to glorify you, no matter what that looks like, no matter what it means, no matter what it costs, because of the length and breadth, the height and depth of your purpose is so much greater than the individual circumstances of my life. God, I want to make my life about glorifying you, not just see you as a figurehead to make my dreams come true. That's such a short-sighted view of life. So what's the application for this week in the light of what we've just heard? I'd like to encourage you to spend time meditating on scriptures this week about trusting God. As you read these scriptures, you, you can dig them out yourself. Go through it slowly and ask God to speak to you and strengthen your faith as you do so. But I've got a few for you. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom, i.e. those who trust in the Lord, are kept safe. In Isaiah 26, verses 3 to 4, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord. The Lord himself is the rock eternal. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Proverbs 16, verse 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And finally, Proverbs 19, verse 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Will you do that this week? Don't just walk out of here and go, that was an okay message. I don't care what you think of my message. If you didn't like the message, that's fine by me. Just remember the application. Let God speak to you directly and specifically. You can easily Google scriptures Verses on trust in God, and you'll find a stack. Just go over it today as you have your cup of tea or coffee or whatever it is you're doing. Let's pray. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How incredibly blessed we are. How incredibly, incredibly, enormously blessed and privileged we are that we have your written word in our possession. All 66 books in our possession. I pray, God, that we will see what an amazing gift we have in our hands. 
and that, Lord, we will treasure it more than we are. Because in the pages of the Bible are your words to us. In the pages of the Bible, you wanting to speak to us. Lord, I ask that we will make time, make room in our hearts to read your word for depth and for breath, to give you every opportunity to speak to us. And speaking to your word, while it's, the pri it's your primary way of speaking to us, you can also speak to us in so many thousands of ways through nature, through circumstances. I pray, God, that you will cultivate in us a greater longing, a deeper longing to have you speak to us, a greater desire to have you speak to us as we go through our day, before the day starts. Now, Lord, we will humble ourselves. We will assume the posture of attitude and hand where we say, God, today, speak to me in any way you choose because men shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, teach us to discern your voice to us. Teach us to discern your spoken word to us, your inspired word to us. However that comes, however that is delivered, important thing is that we hear your word and that, Lord, we respond to your word. Help us see that we need to hear you speak to us because it strengthens us, it gives us life, it encourages us. It sets our direction for life. It can be life-changing. And Lord, having hear it, I pray that you will give us strength to follow through. Like Abraham did. Abraham could have said, no, I'm not going to uproot myself. I'm going to stay where I am. I'm not going to be inconvenienced by this. You tell me to leave, but you don't even tell me where to go. It would be really helpful if you gave me the destination first. And only if you told me the destination, then I can start making preparation. Where am I going to go? How am I going to plan for this trip? Lord, that must have been a range of questions when you spoke to him to leave. And yet we're told that he uprooted himself. He packed his bags. He told his family, we're going to go and follow the Lord. He hasn't told us where the final location is, but he has told us the next one. So we're going to obey Yahweh, whatever the cost, whatever it means, whatever, however that looks, we're going to glorify God. I pray that will be our determination as well, by your Spirit's power and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.